this is going to be very unpopular with a lot of bodybuilders. You don't train hard enough. <laughs> um, I thought I knew how to train hard. And I train pretty darn hard. Until you go through some overreaching phases in powerlifting, and I'm just talking where, you know, heavy squats to the point and heavy deadlifts, like it is soul sucking. Welcome to the Bar Bend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by barbend.com. Today, I'm talking to Lane Norton, also known online as BioLane, one of the fitness community's most multi-talented influencers. He's a competitive natural bodybuilder, champion powerlifter, and PhD in nutritional sciences. Fun fact, his thesis title was, Leucine is a critical factor determining protein quantity and quality to initiate muscle protein synthesis. Yeah, this guy knows a thing or two about building muscle. In today's episode, Lane and I talk about some critical connections, differences, and similarities between bodybuilding and powerlifting, including what athletes can teach each other across the disciplines. We also discuss myths and misconceptions surrounding training intensity and how long it really takes to build quality muscle mass and strength. Also, I want to take a second to say we're incredibly thankful that you listen to this show. So if you haven't already, be sure to leave a rating and review in your app of choice. Now let's get to it. Lane Norton, probably better known as Bio Lane to a lot of people. Thanks so much for joining the Bar Band podcast today. You're someone who's done a lot in the fitness and strength industry, bodybuilder, power lifter, researcher, PhD. How do you like to describe yourself? Which of those titles fits best these days? <laughs> um, I have kind of one of two ways I'll describe myself uh, typically, which is uh, a meathead who loves science or a geek who likes to lift weights, or who <laughs> loves to lift weights. And um, depending on the day, uh, one might be a better description than the other, but uh, I think they're both pretty accurate. Well, that makes a, a lot of sense, and, and I'll take that. Okay, which do you think has a more negative connotation in society, being a meathead or being a nerd? Probably being a meathead, I'm guessing. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I think that... Uh, you know, other than uh, school where, you know, intelligence can be kind of put down and whatnot, I think the society as a whole kind of values intelligence. So, um, or at least they say they do. <laughs> um, we value we value people we think are intelligent. How about that? That's, I, I think that's a really good way of framing it. I was going to say, I'm not sure it's actual intelligence because everyone has their own measure, but I, I like I like the way you put that. Now, I got to ask, which came first, your interest in the research side of things and being really inquisitive, or were, were you a meathead first? Were you interested in getting strong and lifting weights first? It, it always comes at different times for different people. Yeah, I think I always had an inquisitive nature, so I, I think that those seeds were always there, but uh, I definitely uh, you know, started lifting weights with the idea of, you know, not that oh, I wanted to unlock the secrets of the human body, but... I just wanted to get jacked <laughs> so that um, stop getting uh, bullied so much in high school and maybe get some attention from girls. Um, sadly, it didn't help with either one of those things, but did lead to a lifelong love affair uh, of training. But um, 
yeah, that's that's kind of how it worked for me. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. Now, if you wouldn't mind, give us a little background into what you researched for your, your doctorate when it comes to the strength world. Because, you know, I've been in the industry for nearly a decade. I've known you for a while as, you know, bio lane, PhD, kind of this like mad scientist or whatever of, of bodybuilding and powerlifting. I don't know if mad scientist is completely fair, but take us through that main research component and focus that you had at that stage in your career. Yeah, so um, I, I guess I have to go back a little bit. Um, when I was getting into bodybuilding, I was starting to kind of try and you know further my education, so to speak, but I didn't really know how to read research. And uh, I think one of the things that really got me interested in it was um, I was on a message board called mindandmuscle.net. And there was, it was a small message board, but it was actually some really intelligent people on there. And uh, there was a lot of kind of ideas tossed around, a lot of verbal or like a lot of, um, you know, jousting, scientific jousting, I would say. Um, and I was just a kid doing my degree in biochemistry. So I, I knew a little bit of stuff, but, you know, not, not a ton. And uh, that really sparked my curiosity. So I decided I wanted to go to grad school. Um, you know, applied to a few different labs, got accepted in uh, Don Lehman's lab at University of Illinois. For those who don't know, I actually, it's funny, I get people on Twitter like, oh, well, you went to the University of Illinois. And I'm like, have you ever looked at where they actually rank? Like, I know it's a state school and maybe you think that's not impressive, but um, they're, a, they're a top 50 school overall, uh, number 14, I think, for uh, public school and for nutritional sciences. Uh, in particular, they're ranked, they're currently ranked third. When I went there, they were ranked second. And the lab I went to in specific was one of the top labs for um, protein and muscle metabolism in the world. So that's where my research focus was, was really kind of the anabolic component and really wanting to, you know, learn more about, you know, nutritional interventions that could uh, improve muscle hypertrophy. So in that lab in particular, we were focused on studying how, um, you know, different sources of protein and what components of the protein were important for uh, enhancing uh, the anabolic response to a meal. Cool. Makes a lot of sense. Now, take us through a little bit of your, I mean, I think it's actually relatable. And I like how you break it down for, for all of us who might not be uh, doctorates in these things. Take us a little bit through your strength competition career. Were you interested yeah. in bodybuilding and competing in that first, or or more on the powerlifting side first? Yeah, so I'm a lot. Of, I'm different than a lot of people. Um, a lot of people start in powerlifting and then move to bodybuilding. I actually took the opposite course. So I uh, I got interested in competing in bodybuilding uh, when I finished my senior year in high school. I'd been lifting for a few years. Got relatively strong, um, relatively decent amount of muscle. And, um, you know, I was, I was a baseball player in high school and knew I wasn't going to go, uh, anywhere with that in the long term. I was a pretty good ball player, but I was a five foot, 10 inch average height, average hitting, uh, defensive minded for a uh, right-handed first baseman. So I wasn't, I wasn't exactly fielding a lot of offers from <laughs> you, you weren't going to be, you weren't going to be starting for the Yankees after a few years in the minors. Probably not. Probably not. The, 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 they usually can find guys with some better tangibles than that. <laughs> so, 
Um, I love baseball, but I, I think I, I kind of knew that that portion of it was, was over for me. Um, my high school coach did tell me, Hey, if you want to go play college ball somewhere, you can probably find a place that will take you, uh, or walk on. Um, but I decided, you know, I wanted to, to shift gears and I wanted to go and, you know, focus really on my academics and, you know, being a college athlete these days is a full-time job. And, and I want, I was the first person in my uh, family ever to go to college and I really wanted to take that seriously. So, um, just kind of got into bodybuilding as a way to whet that competitive appetite since baseball was over. And, um, after my, so after my freshman year of college, um, one year after I'd really gotten serious about bodybuilding, I just, I wanted to do a bodybuilding show and enter in the teen division. And, um, so I did that. Um, long story short, won the teen division and actually won the novice tall division as well as a 19 year old. And I was hooked. Um, I was absolutely hooked. And so, um, did a few different competition seasons. I, so I did that competition season, did two shows the following year, took two years off and then did, uh, four shows my senior year of college or actually right after I graduated college and then took two years off and, uh, went and did, I think four more shows as well in 2006. And that's where I won my pro card in natural bodybuilding and then knew I was going to take a long kind of extended break from bodybuilding of four years because that's how long I had left on my PhD or I, I hoped how long I had left on my PhD. Um, and I was going to use that time to really build a lot of muscle or as much as I could and, uh, you know, get ready for the pro stage. Um, cause that was pretty intimidating for me. The idea that I was going to go up against some of the best, you know, natural bodybuilders in the world. Um, so I started training, you know, with that in mind, but it's really, you know, building muscle without drugs is a very slow process, very arduous process. And it can be very disheartening at times because, um, in order to build that muscle, you're usually allowing yourself to put on a little bit of body fat. So the gains you're making, you're not really seeing them in the mirror because it's being covered by some body fat. Um, so I decided I wanted to do something to, to kind of keep myself motivated in the gym, but, um, you know, that wouldn't in, interfere with my bodybuilding goals goals. So I, I decided to enter a powerlifting meet and, uh, I did a few of those. Turns out I was pretty good at it. Um, I even got an invitation to Raw Unity 3 back in 2010, which at the time was the biggest Raw powerlifting event in the world, uh, which is funny because it was held in a, in a high school gymnasium, which now the biggest Raw events in the world are, you know, in, in big um, – there's actually going to be one in the stadium next year, uh, which is cool. But um, I, I did that um, – and then did went back to bodybuilding in 2010 after I graduated from with my PhD. Um, did very well in the uh, pro shows I entered. I actually won my weight class in my first pro show and then finished top five in all my shows overall. And then after that, I kind of had the mentality that, well, I'm, I'm going to go. I still didn't consider myself a powerlifter, really. I considered myself a bodybuilder who liked to powerlift. And... I decided I was going to take another extended break from bodybuilding just to really focus on growing my business and, um, and really trying to build as much, much muscle as I could. 
And then I, I started, I, I was hanging around um, Mike Zordos, who's a professor of exercise science at Florida Atlantic University, and my friend Ben Escrow at the time, and they were both really into powerlifting. They loved it. And they kept talking about the, U, the USAPL, which is the IPF affiliate in the USA, which is the IPF is the most prestigious powerlifting organization there is in the world. The next one isn't even close. And they're, they're recognized by the IOC, and they have a legitimate world championship where you know over 50 countries from around the world send athletes to compete. It's a very, very prestigious event. Uh, in any case, I didn't really know much about them. I, you know, I was just doing powerlifting for fun. And I, um, Mike, uh, Professor Zordos, he put on a meet at FAU one year and asked me to come down and do the meet. And I, I did the meet. And he's like, you realize your total would have won you nationals last year. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, you would have won nationals and you would have placed in the top 10 at Worlds. I was like, oh, really? Good, so, good to know. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice to know in hindsight. <laughs> yeah, so I kind of got the idea, well, maybe I'll, I'll try, maybe I'll give this thing a shot. So I went and did nationals. And I think at some point during that prep for nationals in 2014, the switch really flipped in my head where I was like, man, I really love this heavyweight stuff. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> um, and I was starting to hit some pretty crazy numbers in training. I was, you know, into the mid sixes on squat and, um, I'd hit like a six thirty squat in the gym and then a six forty squat in the gym. And what, what body weight were you at around? This I was time? competing at the, at? I was competing in the, the 93 kilo class, which is 205 pounds. Um, and then I hit a 700 pound deadlift and, so I was really liking my my chances and my totals. Um, and when I got to nationals, it was funny because people still kind of – I was kind of a wild card. And this was the first year where raw nationals was really big. There was over 500 lifters. And people kind of looked at me like a wild card. I was like this this guy who had done bodybuilding, but now he was trying to do powerlifting. And I ended up winning that meet. And I remember after I, I won um, – the exhilaration of you know pulling your last deadlift and realizing you've won is pretty pretty cool feeling, and uh, you know immediately the head of the U.S. Coaching Committee, Matt Gary, who's a legend in the IPF, the greatest uh, platform coach there is. Meaning, if you need somebody to to kind of call your lift or, or you know pick an attempt for you, Matt Gary is the man. Uh, Matt walks straight up to me and says, "You're going to do worlds, right?" And I'm like. again, I just was like, Oh, I'm going to try this nationals thing. See how it works. And, um, I was like, well, uh, where is it? He's like, it's in Finland. I was like, I looked at my coach, Ben. I was like, you want to go to Finland? And he was like, hell yeah. So we did that. And, you know, and then found out, Oh, I I had squatted 650 at nationals. The world record was 661. So that kind of became a pursuit for a while. And I ended up, I, I broke that at raw worlds in 2015 um, squatted 668 and got a seven, 1758-pound total and finished uh, in the silver medal position, uh, which was a pretty cool experience for me. So at that point, I think I had fully transitioned over to like, oh, I think I like this powerlifting thing a little bit more. <laughs> would, you, would you ever switch back to bodybuilding or would you ever compete in any sort of bodybuilding or physique competition again? Oh, for sure. For sure. I, I, it is something that I want to do and it's on, it's, it's on the bucket list, but, um, I've still got a a passion. 
for, you know, getting under a heavy squat and there's, you know, bodybuilding is very rewarding and I love it. I do love bodybuilding, but there's nothing that can quite compare to, you know, with bodybuilding, you're, you're waiting, you know, you're waiting to hear your name called, you're, you're waiting for the feedback from five or seven people and it's all subjective, you know. With powerlifting, it is a little bit subjective when you talk about squat depth and, you know, did you hit your deadlift or that kind of, kind of stuff. But for the most part, it's, you know, did you lift it or not? And, man, there's nothing quite like, you know, coming down to the last deadlift and you knowing you need a certain pull to win a meet, putting it on the bar and getting it. That's just, it, it really is hard to compare to something like that. What are some lessons that you think bodybuilders might be able to take from the powerlifting world and vice versa as someone, not the only person, but as someone who has existed and had success in both those realms? Yeah, great question. Um, so I think I always said I think there's a lot that powerlifters can learn from bodybuilders and bodybuilders could learn from powerlifters. Um, so this is going to be very unpopular with a lot of bodybuilders. You don't train hard enough. <laughs> um, I thought I knew how to train hard and I trained pretty darn hard until you go through some overreaching phases and powerlifting. And I'm just talking where, you know, heavy squats to the point and heavy deadlifts, like it is soul sucking. And it's always funny. I was, I was doing a live the other day and I, I hit a squat. I had done a five twenty for five. And um, I said, you know, that's about RPE eight for me, meaning I could have done two more reps. And somebody goes, well, if you could have done two more reps, why didn't you just do them? And I, was like, and I said, you know, if you train to absolute failure on lifts like that, it will crush you over like pretty quickly. Um, I, you know, I have people all the time that, like, for example, if I put together a program and it's like three sets of squats, they'll say. Well, that was so easy. I was through that in, in 10 minutes. And I'm like, you don't know how to train hard. If three sets of squats at like an above an RPE eight was easy for you and felt easy and was quick, you just have never trained hard. And you you're actually not even close to failure. Because if you if you do a legit hard set of squats, if it, for anybody who's ever done an actual set of heavy squats to failure, and by failure I mean like, you know, actually either got pinned in the rack or did it to the point where you were like shaking and convulsing by the end because you were just so much muscular neuromuscular fatigue. Trying to do anything after that, good luck. You know, so I think one of the things I learned was actually how to really push myself in training, like how to really train hard. Because even like, you know, doing a hack squat to failure, a leg press to failure, it doesn't compare to, you know, doing a heavy squat or deadlift to failure where you're bracing and, you know, balancing and having to stabilize all that weight. It's a whole different ballgame. So I think I, that really taught me how much I really could push myself in training. What about the other way around? What can powerlifters, if anything, take away more from the bodybuilding sphere? And, and what did you take to powerlifting from your bodybuilding experience that other people might not be able to bring across the two sports or might not have if they haven't done both? Yeah, so I, I think one of the, I think now it's a little bit different. I think now people kind of, 
there's quite a few powerlifters who are, who are pretty lean, you know. So when I got into it, that was a little bit more of a novelty. Um, it was kind of, you know, eat to your eat to you couldn't eat anymore, and then you know drink some calories when you couldn't eat anymore. Um, you know, now people realize that it is possible to perform well um, and be lean. And I think the other thing I, I brought was, you know, there's a there was a lot of stupidity in and just bro science. Well, there is in bodybuilding too, but in the way powerlifters cut down for competitions. Like I was talking to one powerlifter, he's like, "Man, I lost so much strength. I I, I don't think this weight class is for me." I was like, well, "What did you do for your last, you know, for your diet?" He's like, "Well, I had 30 pounds to lose, so uh, about a month out, I started, you know, cutting out my food." And I'm like. When, no kidding, you lost all your strength. Like, just, cutting out, just cutting out the food, not yeah, like just, not with any intelligence, just eating less. Generally. Yeah, just just eating way less, and then cutting a bunch of water. Um, and so for me, people don't realize um, the weight class for USAPL used to be a hundred. It used to be a hundred hundred kilograms and ninety kilograms. And then the IPF restructured their weight classes circa two thousand thirteen. I want to say. And for the year 2014, you had to pick either the night for a hundred kilo lifter, you could either go down to 93 or you could go up to 105. So I made a judgment call. I decided I wanted to go down to 93 because I never really felt like I got that much more strength from being anywhere above um, like 215, 220, or that would be, you know, anywhere from 98 to 100 kilos. So I I went I that now that's only seven kilos that's only a you know fifteen pound drop. I did that over the course of almost a year. So and that was like I would lose you know two kilos and then I would kind of reverse you know reverse diet or or enter a period of maintenance for several weeks. Let my body get adjusted to that new body weight. Then I would come down another kilo or two. Let my body get adjusted to that body weight, stabilize, maintenance work. Then I would go down again. So by the time I got to the 205 pound or 93 kilo class, I had been already maintaining that weight for several months. You know, a lot of these powerlifters, they want to drop, you know, 20 pounds or, or 25 pounds. And then they're shocked that the weights don't feel that great. It was, well, it's no kidding. It's not just your energy levels. It's also your, your frame is completely different now. Your waist is narrower stabilization is going to be different. You know, you have to learn your new mechanics. So just this idea that these guys are just going to, you know, lose a bunch of weight at the end. And especially in the IPF where we have two hour weigh-ins. So we don't, you know, the weigh-in is not the day before the meet for us. We're literally weighing in two hours before we're about to go lift. So you can't just cut a bunch of water because if you try to cut a bunch of water, you're going to perform like crap. So I think that's one of the things I brought over. One of the things powerlifters could learn from bodybuilders is a more intelligent approach in terms of how to come down. Most bodybuilders, most, even though some still do silly water depleting protocols, most do know that crash dieting is not a good idea, especially for maintaining lean body mass. So I think that's one of the concepts I brought over from bodybuilding that really helped me um, in powerlifting. That makes that makes sense, and I, I appreciate you diving into that. Obviously, I, I especially like what you talk about, where your mechanics and the physics of how you move are going to change at a different body weight, and that's something that 
I think a lot of people across strength sports that I've seen, be it weightlifters, powerlifters, strongman athletes, even CrossFitters, when they undergo a significant phase of hypertrophy or weight loss, they're surprised that, oh, I'm just missing these lifts. And it sometimes isn't due to strength. It's just sometimes because your positional awareness is completely different. Yeah, even your proprioception, you know, that sort of thing. Your 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 equipment or your like your belt can fit differently. Um yeah, even like the cues I use are a little bit different now. That like so I when I I incurred a few back injuries and I actually did go up to the 105 kilo class last year, more so because I didn't want to deal with trying to diet down while I was also, you know, on my comeback trail from a pretty serious back injury. Um but you know, like my mechanics were different. I was able to, you know, be a little more upright in my squats and that was great. Um, and now I'm, I'm actually coming back down, uh, to the 93 kilo class again. Um, but I've had to change kind of the cues I use during a squat. I'm, you know, I'm having to, you know, change the way I think about things. I've kind of widened my stance a little bit. There's a few little things I've done, um, because I can't expect to, you know, lift the same way at a lighter body weight as I did at a heavier body weight. Makes sense. Lane, I have to ask, you know, you're someone who is, is known not only for your athletic prowess, but as for, for being a prominent voice on the latest research and evidence-based fitness and methodology in bodybuilding, powerlifting, other strength sports even. What area of research interests you most right now when it comes to strength performance? Hmm, interesting. Um, I would probably say the research right now that's looking at kind of effective volume and volume load. So looking at, you know, what, what kind of dosage do we need to effectively promote hypertrophy and strength and also optimize it? And we're, you know, I think before 2014, there's a statistic out there and I can't remember the exact amount, but, you know, before 2014, there was a certain amount of research in strength sports. And I I want to say since 2014, the body of research has like doubled or tripled on studies looking at uh, resistance training and hypertrophy and strength. So we are expanding our knowledge base of what creates hypertrophy and strength uh, exponentially. And uh, I'm really interested in that research and um, to kind of tease out some more of what the research actually says. You know, we have a we have a basic idea. Like some things we're pretty confident in. We we know that you know multiple sets are better than single sets. We know that if you don't take, um, you need to take weights. You can. We know that you can build muscle with light weights, but you need to take them near failure and near fatigue. Um, we know that we think we are pretty confident that the volume is better expressed as kind of, you know, number of hard sets. And we think we know that the effective number of hard sets in a workout tends to cap out around 10 per, per day uh, in terms of a body part. Uh, but there's a lot of other unanswered questions in that research. And that's, that's kind of the field I'm really interested in right now. What are some aspects of bodybuilding that a lot of bodybuilders at all levels are just getting wrong still? Okay, good, good, great question. And I think the number one thing I would say is they compete way too often. If you want to, especially if somebody is drug-free, if you want to build significant amount of muscle, 
you are not going to optimize that if you are always dieting. And let me go further. Even if you are competing once a year, it's too often for the most part. Um, if you want to build significant muscle, you're going to need to take time off because the reason let's, let's just say somebody is reasonable and doesn't have a lot of fat to lose and they do a 16 week prep. That's a short prep in my mind. Uh, 16 weeks is a short prep uh, because I don't promote crash dieting. Most people who think they're 16 weeks out are more like 24 or 30 weeks out. But let's say a legit 16 weeks out, meaning they've only got, you know, six, seven, eight kilograms to lose. Um, they do a prep. The research shows that when you get that lean, you need almost as much time to recover from that prep and just get back to a good, normal, healthy state as you did the actual prep. So, now, okay, let's add another 16 weeks to that. So that's 32 weeks now that you haven't been focused on, you know, improving your hypertrophy because you've been dieting or recovering. Well, that, okay, so that's 32 weeks. There's 52 weeks in a year. You have 20 weeks left. Oh, and also if you want to do another show the following year, that's another 16 weeks. So you can see how much time is left to actually make progress and make some gains in hypertrophy. It can be precious little. So I think some of the, the biggest mistakes bodybuilders make are comp is competing way too often. And I think a lot of them do that because their identity gets wrapped up in competition and looking stage lean because they love the way it looks. And so they end up competing every year just so they can satisfy the ego part of you know, their identity, which is stage lean. But if you really want to be successful, especially, again, especially for people who are drug-free, you're going to have to take some time off. What about on the powerlifting side? What are powerlifters at all levels generally getting wrong that you see most frequently? Who? Um, you, you had to expect this follow-up with, with the first one. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just a more difficult question. Um, I think not appreciating the aspects of individual variability enough. Um, I have just seen so many different methods work for so many different people with regards to powerlifting that I think, you know, being a student of your, of the game and being really open-minded with different training techniques, um, different exercises, um, different, you know, loading schemes. And also, um, I think one of the biggest things I've seen with powerlifters is not being, not being proactive enough in injury recovery and prevention. I think that's a huge thing. Um, you lift hard enough, long enough, you're going to get dinged up. It, it just happens. So, you know, that's something I've really tried to emphasize. And also, I guess one of the other things I would say is I see, I think a part of this is social media. I see a lot of guys who are maxing out really frequently, you know, doing one rep maximums with their um, competition lifts. And I get it. Like it looks awesome on Instagram to, you know, huge squats and benches and deadlifts and whatnot. But I have learned to try to let go of those gym PRs so that I can hit competition PRs. So whereas before, I would say before 2017, 
my focus would always be setting PRs in the gym. That was kind of what drove my training. After that, I have not set one PR in the gym, but I've set PRs on the platform. So I think having the mindset switch from always feeling like you've got to set some PRs in the gym to actually just focusing on what is going to get me to that PR on the platform. And it doesn't always mean PRing in the gym. Uh, I'm not saying that PRing in the gym is a bad thing, but if you're always finding yourself PRing in the gym and then not PRing on the platform, you probably need to ask yourself if you're, if what you're doing is the right way to do it. Makes sense. Uh, I really appreciate your time, Lane. I think we've covered a lot of grounds across multiple sports and obviously uh, the body of research that you spent years and years on to earn your PhD. Where's the best place for people to keep up to date with the work you're doing and uh, you know your next return to the platform or, or maybe in the uh, further in the future, uh, the bodybuilding stage? Yeah, so I mean, so I'm on the social medias, so um, uh, pretty much BioLane on every social media, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. Um, my Facebook is a little bit different. Facebook is just Lane Norton, and it's an athlete page. Um, and then uh, my website, BioLane.com. That's where we keep everything. Um, that's where you can keep up with, you know, all of our uh, content, videos. Articles, all that kind of jazz is at biolane.com. Great. Lane Norton, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you, David.